places in the world that are rumored to be haunted. And then there's the Malvern Manor, which is known to be. investigator Heather Taddy on December 2nd and 3rd as we spend back-to-back nights investigating the haunted Malvern Manor as featured in my forthcoming docu-series A House in the Harbinger Kingdom. Only 30 tickets are being offered to this special event which tickets are on sale right now. To get yours while they last visit www.aghtelevision.com What's up, everybody? Chad Kalick here, and welcome back to episode number 24 of the Intercrowded Room Podcast, which on this episode, we're going to talk about the answer to a great question that I received this morning that actually relates to my forthcoming documentary called 74 Minutes, which we'll talk a little bit more about at the end of this podcast. But for right now, the question that I got was from Dawn, and Dawn said, What is the most important thing that you ever discovered during an investigation that you were not able to document? So she knows I've obviously captured a bunch of things on film, but she's saying, what was the most amazing thing that you wish you could have captured but didn't? And that goes back to a story on the first case that I ever investigated, which was my own family's case. This was all the way back in 1988, and that was actually a golden time for paranormal investigation because I did not rely so much on technology because technology was crap back then. I mean, the only thing you had for a recorder was those big shoulder-hoisted VHS cam recorders that, with the full battery, maybe lasted 15, 20 minutes. 
As far as audio goes, all I had was those square silver boxes with the big cassettes, and you had to push play and record at the same time to record anything. And again, you might get 30, 40 minutes of audio, and it was terrible audio. It was all analog. You know, it would sound just like pure static in the room. Because of that, you had to do a lot of historical work. You had to really dig into the town, the house, the history, the deeds, all that stuff, which is also why I enjoyed Paranormal State, because they did a lot of methods that I had to do as a younger child to try to figure out what was going on with my family, what was going on in Persia, Iowa, what was going on with our house. Now, let me give you a little bit of history here. Once we moved into the house in Persia, Iowa, and by the way, before I get going with this, in case you don't know, my family story is documented in a documentary called American Ghost Hunter. You could watch it on Hulu and everywhere else that movies are available and documentaries are available. If you haven't seen it yet, I strongly urge you to. And in that documentary, you'll see that my father was burned really bad in an accident in Texas that caused us to move back to Iowa for a cooler climate because once you're burned and you have all the scar tissue, the scar tissue doesn't sweat, so he couldn't be in a hot climate. He had to be in a cooler climate, and his whole family was from the Omaha, Nebraska area. So we wound up in this house in Persia, Iowa, that we later learned the two previous families had sold because they believed it to be haunted. Now, when things started happening in the house, I was the last person to experience anything. And before I experienced anything, individually, I had spoken to each member of my family and they had all told me these stories that were happening. Now, we lived there for about a year before anything started happening. And everything started happening after we adopted my little sister, who was three years old. Uh, she was Native American and Mexican. And once she moved in, it took a couple months, and then things started happening. Now, my father claimed that he saw two black figures, short, jet black, with green glowing eyes, outside of his window, looking at him and giggling. He said that there was a black figure, like a shadow man, black figure standing at the front of the bed when he was sleeping. And he said there was also the same figure hovering over him. My mother claimed to experience much more violent activity. She claimed that things were being thrown at her. She claimed that she was being hit with objects. She claimed that she was having her hair pulled, that she was being scratched, that she was being pinched. Really, really crazy, crazy stuff. Now, my brother, his first experience was something mild enough, but it would be pretty creepy if you experienced it. He was a guitar player, and he had an acoustic guitar in his room. And while he was sleeping, this guitar would start strumming. And not just random strumming, it would strum notes. So when I first started hearing all this stuff, I honestly thought, Everybody was going crazy because other than weird feelings, I didn't experience anything that I can verify. All I remember is that I did not like the house when we showed up to look at it for the first time. I was super nervous being in the house. I remember feeling terrified going up the main stairway from the living room downstairs up to the top landing on the third floor which my bedroom was directly in front of the stairs and directly over my shoulder. 
is where my sister slept. Now, over my shoulder, that back room terrified me. And I don't know why. It was just a feeling. But I marked feelings up to feelings. It is what it is. It's a feeling. Well, after hearing everybody's story, the one person that I had not heard from yet was Katie. Katie had a bit of a speech problem. When we adopted her, she was very far behind in her education. Unfortunately, she was badly abused physically and sexually before we adopted her. She was malnourished. She was way underweight. Um, she came from a horrible, horrible situation. So even though most three-year-olds can speak clearly, she really, really struggled. She struggled with just putting full sentences together. She struggled with vowel sounds. It was hard for her to communicate, but she did her best. Um, she had a lot of emotional problems. She would freak out about uh, things that we didn't understand. The first time, you know, we bought her clothes, we had new clothes in a closet. We opened the closet up to show her all her new clothes, and she freaked out and panicked and went crazy, and we couldn't figure out why. And we learned later that she used to be locked in her closet for days on end as her mother just left her in there. So we didn't know this stuff until afterwards, and we would discover things with her all the time, triggers that we would later learn about what happened that created this trigger. So I was hyper aware of Katie because I was very protective of her. And I just felt like this is the most unjust thing I've ever seen in my life. Had I been able to get my hands on the people that hurt her, I would have killed them. I'm dead serious. I would have absolutely killed the people that hurt her. I could not understand or fathom how something so precious as this little girl how anybody could hurt. So I was very protective of Katie. And at that time in her life, what I loved about Katie, even though she had a hard time speaking, I trusted her. I trusted her because she didn't really know what a lie was at this point in her life. She didn't know the benefits of lying. She just called things as she saw them. Because she had a hard time with syllables and vowels and speaking, she would just show things by demonstrating. Like, when she was sad about something, she would lower her head and she'd put her finger below her eye. And she was showing me like the crying motion that something made her sad because it was easier for her to make that motion than it was for her to say, I'm really sad right now or that hurts my feelings. So it was this really unique shorthand that we had, this way that we communicated were just certain things that she would do, I would understand. And I would understand it better than anybody in the house. She just struggled with speech so bad. There was this one time, I'll never forget it. It was just the cutest thing. She couldn't say shoes. And something just didn't connect in her brain. She would say, oosh. And I would sit her down. I'd be like, okay, let's work on this, Katie. And I'm like, okay, say shh. And she could do that. And she'd go, shh. And I'd go, okay. Now go, ooze. And she'd go, ooze. And I'd go, okay, now say, shh. She'd go, shh. And I'd go, ooze. And she'd go, ooze. And I'd go, here we go. We're going to just put them together. Go, here we go. Shoes. And she'd close her eyes and she'd grit her teeth and she'd ball up her fist and she'd go, ooze. <laughs> she just couldn't say shoes. It was just adorable. But after a while... I knew what oosh was. So it was funny because people would also come over and they just wouldn't understand. They wouldn't understand what 
you know, her shorthand meant, but I knew it. And because I had that shorthand with her, I did. I felt a higher degree of protectiveness than almost anybody else because I felt like I understood her more than anybody else. And I felt like there was a reason that this level of communication between her and I was bestowed upon me. So I was just really protective of her. So one night I'm going up the stairs and I have a really, really creepy feeling. Katie's already asleep in her bedroom. I get to the top of the stairs. I'm looking over my shoulder. It is that common feeling like you just feel like someone's there, but nothing, nothing happens. It's just a creepy feeling, which was common, you know, but it, it was stronger that night. So I go in, I lay down and I go to bed and I could see from my room with the doors open, I could see all the way into Katie's room. So I, I would often fall asleep just looking in her room, just watching over her. Not that I even believed at this point that the house was haunted, but if it was, I wanted to make sure that she was in eyesight because, again, I took it on as I was her protector. So I fall asleep and suddenly I'm dreaming. And in my dream, I hear Brother Chad. And that was her way of saying Brother Chad. And I'm like, in my dream, I'm, I'm thinking she's standing in front of me and she's saying, wake up, wake up. And then I open my eyes and Katie is like six inches from my face. And it's not a dream. She's really in my room saying, but a Chad, wake up. I'm like, oh my God. I like freaked out, I jumped back and she jumped back. I'm like, no, Katie. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. Come here. What's wrong? And what she explained was, she said that she wanted to sleep with me because there was a green hand that came out of the wall and it was trying to tuck her in. I'm like, huh? And I had her explain it three or four times to make sure that I clearly understood what she was talking about. And she said there was a green hand that came out of the wall to tuck her in. And I'm like, huh. Well, this freaked me out because, again, I just know Katie doesn't even know how to lie. She wouldn't find a benefit in doing so. She's certainly not going to wake up at three in the morning, walk alone all the way down to my room to wake me up to tell me she wants to, you know, climb in, in my bed because she's so freaked out because there's a green hand that's trying to tuck her in. So I say, okay, well, let's go, you know, tell the green hand it's got to, it's got to leave. It's got to go back into the wall. And she's like, no, she's not going back to her room that night. She's not. She said, I'll stay here. I'll stay here. And I'm like, wow. So she does not want to even go back in the room. So I go back in her room myself. I'm completely alone. And nothing happens. I don't see anything. Nothing that could even remotely look like a green hand. Nothing. And I come back into my bedroom and I'm like, I don't see anything, Katie. I don't see any green hand. And she starts crying and starts saying, I'm not lying. I'm not lying. She's telling me I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. And in her way of communicating it. And I said, no, sweetheart, I'm, I'm not saying you're lying at all. I'm just saying I don't see it. And you could totally sleep here in the bed. That's fine. Woke up the next morning. Everything was fine. And, uh, you know, I told my parents about it before I went off to school. I said, hey, you know, Katie woke me up last night. And she said, some green hand tried to tuck her in. And I said, but for what it's worth, you know, um, it was trying to tuck her in. So that's not a violent or terrible act. So hopefully if there is a ghost here. It was trying to do something nice, but it freaked her out. And I could see genuine concern on my parents' face. And I just went off to school and chalked it up as another weird thing that happened in that house.
So fast forward a year and a half later, in which I've had countless experiences in the house. Everybody in the family has. It is a paranormal nightmare inside my home, in which Justin, my best friend, has finally had his experience in the house that convinced him that it was, in fact, haunted. Now, that's a long story for another podcast, but for this story, suffice to say, Justin is now a firm believer. After thinking that we were all crazy for a good year, he finally says, wow, this is real. And, you know, I, I think he felt bad. But I, I, as I told him, anybody would think this is crazy until you have your own experience. So don't feel bad about it. And we got to talking one day and he says, you do know that the families before you, both of them, thought this place was haunted. And I go, yeah, I, I heard, you know, I, I didn't know the families, obviously, because they moved out. But Justin had lived, you know, in Persia his whole life. And he goes, yeah, he goes, man, there was a lot of stories. He goes, one of the weirdest stories, he goes, the family that moved out before you, they had this older girl and her name was Emily. And he goes, and I just thought Emily was so hot. And he goes, so I called her up one day and I was talking to her and I wanted to take her out, you know, to go out on like a, a date of some kind. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And he goes, yeah, it was a really weird conversation though. He was like in the middle of the conversation, she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I got to get off the phone. And I go, why? And he goes, well, she had this younger sister in the middle of the phone call. She started saying that her younger sister was freaking out, something about some green hand trying to choke her. And I about fell over. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah. And I go, no, 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 repeat what you just said to me. And he goes, I was talking to Emily and she wanted to get off the phone and said that her younger sister was freaked out because some green hand came out of the wall and tried to choke her. And I go, Justin, over a year ago, I woke up and Katie was standing in front of me in my room and she said that a green hand came out of the wall and tried to tuck her in. And I just now realized when you're telling me the story that the green hand was not trying to tuck her in. Katie was holding her blankets up by her face because she was scared. And in her mind, the green hand was reaching for the blanket. And he goes, dude, come on. I go, Justin, I'm not kidding you. She told me this story. And I think he could see how freaked out I was. So when I think about what I wish I could have documented, I wish I could have documented Katie telling me this story at 3 a.m. because it was so incredibly authentic. There would just be no way that anybody would doubt it. She was so sincere. And again, at that age, she doesn't even know what a lie is. She would see no benefit to doing it. And then I wish I could have documented Justin telling me this story, and I wish I could have documented Justin being told this story, because it was the first time that it hit me that whatever was in our house, whatever it was, it was generational. It was staying there. The same thing was there for that family, and it was there for our family. And that blew my mind, that connective tissue blew my mind and it made me look at my family's case in an entirely different way and it made me totally trust a lot of the other stories that Katie had told me which she had some doozies man 
She talked about some figure that would walk up the back stairs to the place and it would look in with glowing eyes and overlook her when she was going to sleep. That she would wake up in the middle of the night and she would just see tall glowing eyes. That's how she described it. Tall glowing eyes. That would be looking through this glass window on this door as she would sleep. And there was also, she had a magnet board with all the magnets that make up the alphabet. And I would come in there and there would be messages that would say, let her play with me, let her play with me, things like that. That would just freak me the hell out. And I just didn't know what was going on. So I wish I could have documented that type of stuff. And the reason I bring this up is, you know, when you do paranormal investigations, I think there's two reasons to do them. The most important one is just for yourself. You know, you're trying to determine what your beliefs are. At least I was. I was trying to determine, first and foremost, do I believe that this phenomenon is legitimate, that it's real, and that it's worthy of my time? You know, should I pursue this further? And then I think the second reason is education, is to show the world that this stuff is real. One of the things that really frustrated me the entire time is that this was a reality in my home. This was going on. But yet you could not tell anybody without being called a nutbag, insane, crazy, you know, wanting attention. There was nothing more frustrating than that. And I knew the only way to turn the tide on that would be evidence, would be able to show people what you experienced. You know, where my life was changed and my views about the world had been changed in seconds due to things that I experienced. So having said that, I hope you enjoyed episode number 24 of the In a Crowded Room podcast. I will be back tomorrow with more. All the best.